This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Whether you live in a major metropolis, a medium-sized city, or a rural township, noise is an unavoidable part of life. While trains, planes, and cars are some of the louder and more stress-inducing sources of noise in our environments, quieter noises also have the potential to work our nerves. We asked you how noise affects your daily life. Hi, my name is Toby. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Since 2020, there have been helicopters flying over our neighborhood day and night, and we don't seem to be able to do anything about it. It's very disruptive. I work from home, and the noise of the helicopters really interferes with my being able to do my work. And it can be very frightening because it sounds like it's really close to the house. I actually moved from where I lived because all I heard all day long while working from home was a high-pitched noise, which few other people could hear. So it wasn't really planes going overhead, but just that particular frequency that got to the point where I needed to wear headphones and finally decided to move. I live on a two-lane road from downtown Clearwater down to Pasigrill. We have so much noise, fire trucks, motorcycles, old cars, classic cars. Yes, it's entertaining, but it needs to be brought down to a normal level. Thanks for those messages. A growing body of research shows that being chronically exposed to noise isn't just annoying. It can also be harmful to your health. Nearly one-third of Americans live in areas that are regularly exposed to high noise levels from aviation, rail, and roads. And with that exposure comes a heightened risk of hypertension, stroke, and heart attacks. So how can we better understand noise and its effect on our bodies? And what steps can we take to limit negative health effects from chronic noise? After the break, we dig for answers to those questions with our panel and hear your stories about how noise affects your day-to-day life. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us from Massachusetts is Peter James. He's an environmental epidemiologist and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us from Maine is Jamie Banks. She's the president of Quiet Communities. That's a nonprofit helping to reduce the harm of noise pollution in human health and the environment. She's also the chair of the Noise and Health Committee at the American Public Health Association. Jamie, welcome to the program. Hi, Jen. Happy to be here. So, Peter, for the purposes of this conversation, let's start with some definitions. How do researchers define noise? 
Yes, that's that's a great question. I think uh, you know, starting off, noise is defined as unwanted sound, right? So, uh, whether or not a sound is noise really depends on the context and, and the individual, and is really only partly determined by the the level of sound. So, I think that's really important to to consider starting off here. Um, yeah, and I think if we, we think about sound pressure and how we measure sound, it's a, a logarithmic measure um, relative to some reference value, and, and it's measured in decibels. So uh, this is a, a metric that people are probably familiar with, but it's uh, it's also a logarithmic scale. So it, it really is a, a little bit difficult to understand. You know, a twofold increase in sound energy will cause sound pressure uh, levels to increase by three decibels. So it's a little different than what we're used to thinking about with some of these types of measures. When I think about quiet. It's rare that I can find a moment of true <laughs> true quiet where I really can't hear anything. I think it's next to impossible. But what constitutes chronic noise exposure? So, so that is a, a great question. It's something that kind of vexes us in the in the uh, research world. You know, we we have lots of metrics of sound. Um, you know, we often think about uh, you know originally starting off in an occupational setting, looking at noise exposure. But now, uh, you know, we've moved to these environmental noise measures. So, thinking about road, rail, air traffic, um, these chronic exposures, and and how do we measure them when we know that you know a peak in sound might be really important, uh, but we're measuring over you know. 24-hour period. Um, so it's, it's really challenging to, to come up with some of these metrics of sound that might capture things that, that really uh, get under our skin. Jamie, how do you define noise pollution? Um, well, I want to build on what Peter said. The, the, traditional, the traditional definition is that noise is unwanted sound. But um, a couple of years ago, we proposed adding to that noise is unwanted and or harmful sound. And just recently, that uh, new noise definition was adopted by an international commission on the biological effects of noise, which we're very thankful for because it it's a definition that recognizes that it's not just subjective, but that there are health impacts associated with noise. In terms of you know chronic noise uh, that you were asking, uh, Peter, I agree it's 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 hard to define, but. What we're hearing from communities is are people that are affected by uh, regular noise. It can go on for hours at a time, episodically. It could go on over the course of the day. It could come from aircraft. Some of the communities we're talking with have hundreds of flights overhead each day. Um, Others are affected by landscape noise that may go on in their community several days a week. Um, for hours at a time. And it's these sorts of things that um, I think we conceive of as chronic noise. Well, Peter, you gave us a little bit of insight into how researchers measure noise, but what are some of the limitations of the metrics we use in the United States to, to measure? Yeah, so I think that there's some some big limitations as we try and understand the health effects of noise, especially when we think about, you know, thankfully relatively rare outcomes like heart attacks and stroke. You know, we need large nationwide models with with pretty fine resolution to link to you know where people live and follow them forward to look at their health outcomes um, we we don't have really great nationwide noise models that can predict you know the noise at your home uh, on a given day um, and so we need to really build out some of those metrics um, and and create uh, you know the 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 most sensitive metrics that are actually relevant to health and that's where you know we really uh, are, are lacking research and, and are, are building on in the 
U.S. I will say in Europe, they've done a lot of this sophisticated work, and we we still have a, a little bit of a ways to go in the U.S. Jamie, how is noise controlled and monitored in the U.S.? Well, I can go back um, to history and say that um, we still have a law on the books called the Noise Control Act. It's the act under which the Office of Noise Abatement and Control was established within EPA. That office was very active for 10 years with education, regulation, technical assistance to states and localities, um, and so forth, but it was defunded in 1981. And that basically brought activities to a halt. So the situation we see today is that we're living in a noisy world, but people are kind of at loose ends as to what can be done about it. States and localities often don't have the wherewithal to even understand its effects, no less how to properly address it. And what was the reason for defunding that agency? Um, It was a budgetary decision by the Office of Management and Budget. Um, I believe David Stockman was the uh, director at the time. And it was simply removed as a line item. And there have been um, pieces of legislation proposed to reenact it, but nothing has passed yet. Um, So we're hoping that by um, communicating with the agency, by acting legally to um, um, ask the EPA to reactivate the noise control program, that something will be done. Coming up, we hear more about what the federal government can do to limit noise pollution. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the discussion with these messages we got from some of you. Hello, my name is Kate. I'm calling from Greenwich, Connecticut. I've been living across from a residential construction since 2018 and woke up one day, couldn't walk. Um, has taken a great toll on my nervous system as well as all the gas power leaf blowers. I used to live in a warm area where there were leaf blowers going off every day of the week on my street. I was in grad school, so I'd sit down to write and needed to focus and then sounded like it was coming from inside our house. And now I live near a small airport where planes take off and they land. And it's those small propeller planes that make a lot more noise. We have a CSX train line that literally runs right through our backyard. I like to plug my ears at least when the horns go off when it goes by. But other than that, I rather enjoy the sort of nostalgic experience of having that train go through the yard I know it's loud, and I know it's bad, but it's also really cool. 
Thanks for those messages. Peter, it's clear from the stories we're hearing that noise affects people differently. What makes certain people more susceptible to the most harmful impacts of chronic noise? You know, that is a great question and actually something that, uh, you know, we're, we're attempting to, to examine with some of our data uh, at Harvard. Um, but, but we really don't know exactly what makes certain people susceptible. Um, you know, Jamie mentions this idea of harmful noise. Um, the, the caller mentioned that, that he likes trains. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to understand when you perceive of noise uh, or sound, I should say, as, as not uh, unwanted. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, obviously these, these measures that we have that are they're purely objective can't capture that. So we're, we're grappling with that and looking at certain subgroups and, and trying to understand um, which groups might be more affected by, by noise uh, than others. Well, also I'm curious who's more likely to be expo- exposed to chronic noise, especially when we look at a person's race or socioeconomic status. Yes, and, and that has been much, much uh, better characterized. In some of our work, we've looked at every you know urban census block group in the U.S., and we have seen that noise levels are higher in uh, you know neighborhoods with higher uh, proportion of black residents, and also in uh, neighborhoods with higher proportion of uh, low income residents. So we certainly have seen that in the U.S. that uh, disproportionate uh, levels of noise are seen in low income income and, um, you know, uh, more uh, racially diverse communities. Well, we're hearing from lots of you. A member of our tax club writes, I live in a rural area. What aggravates me is the noise from recreational vehicles running up and down my road, ruining the peace. Dirt bikes, which are ridden illegally on the road, four-wheelers, obnoxious motorcycles, and snowmobiles. And Kevin emails, gas leaf blowers have gotten more powerful and way louder, especially the machines used by lawn crews. It's as bad as living next to an airport runway. This is ruining my quality of life here in Northern Virginia. Leaf blower manufacturers need to do better, and communities need to ban gas-powered blowers or put limits on their use. And Jimmy, when we think about noise, we might think about something as just like a nuisance or an annoyance. It's aggravating, but not necessarily as something that's harmful to our health. How do you think that affects the federal response to noise regulation? <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, I think there has to be um, education that noise can have uh, serious and harmful effects. And understanding that annoyance, interruption of activities, interruption of sleep, these are kind of first-line responses that happen when people hear noise. But that sets off a, a physiological stress reaction that raises risk factors in the body and that lead to damage to blood vessels that can then contribute to things like hypertension, heart disease, stroke, metabolic disturbances, and so forth. So I think there needs to be a general recognition that noise is a serious health hazard in order for the federal government to take this seriously and implement and enforce what it has been mandated to do through the Noise Control Act. I think it's really important to include the questions around gentrification in this conversation, because we've all heard stories of people moving into neighborhoods and they're like, it's too loud. They're complaining about a neighbor's music. But when we think about noise through that lens of unwanted sound and some communities, there's a certain sound or vibrancy that's part of that community that's wanted by that community, but then new folks may move in and not want it. So Peter, I just want to make sure we acknowledge that. And I'm curious 
how you're thinking about that as a researcher, where those boundaries exist around what's wanted noise for communities. For sure. I think in, in our research group and increasingly in the environmental health world, we think about uh, what's termed the exposome, this idea that we, we look at the totality of exposures uh, across the life course as opposed to just one in isolation. And I think, you know, the point you brought up about vibrancy, you know, we, it, we do think about walkable, you know, dense communities as being related to uh, better health outcomes. And so, uh, you know, one component of that may be sound levels. Um, and I think... Uh, eliminating noise altogether is perhaps unrealistic and and maybe detrimental. So I think we need to kind of look at noise as one component of kind of optimizing our environmental exposures, uh, also taking into account, you know, green spaces, uh, walkable communities, uh, you know, access to transit, things that, that might, you know, be related to levels of noise, um, but also contribute to, uh, you know, our, our thriving and, and uh, health. Jamie, your thoughts? Um, I think one of the issues, I mean, I agree with Peter, you know, that this really needs to be taken into context. But one thing we hear from um, communities that we deal with is that people often feel a sense of powerlessness over controlling their own environment. So, for instance, they walk into their house, they close their doors and windows, but the sound still penetrates. And so they really have no peace and quiet. They have no place to go. And I think it's that intrusiveness that really exacerbates um, the problem. You know, if they could shut their doors, if they could control their environment more, I think some of the problem um, might be mitigated. Uh, Jamie, does that then open questions about things like building codes and, and how we build to make our environments less accessible to noise? Um, I th- <laughs> it's funny you ask that. I was just on the phone yesterday with an acoustic engineer who does a lot of residential architectural work mentioning that the building codes um, in the U.S. are really define a minimum. Um, and then there is a luxury standard, but of course that requires more investment. But he um, believes, and I don't want to speak with for, for him, but um, his thought was that, yes, there are things that could be done to strengthen the building codes and um, mandate that certain things be done to dampen, to dampen noise. Are there any other policies you think we can or should implement either on the local or federal levels to diminish the effects of chronic noise pollution in our communities, Jamie? Um, Apart from um, reactivating the noise control program, I think um, incorporating noise into environmental impact statements, health impact statements would be very helpful. I think also um, having active noise programs within different federal agencies and having EPA working with health agencies, having FAA working with health agencies. Uh, agencies around aircraft noise and what might be done about that. You know, again, as Peter said, a lot of these problems are very, very difficult. But, you know, if it's not on the table to be discussed, we're not going to find solutions. That's Jamie Banks. She's the president of Quiet Communities, a nonprofit helping to reduce the harm of noise pollution on human health and the environment. She's also the chair of the Noise and Health Committee at the American Public Health Association. Jamie, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you, Jen.
Well, I want to bring another voice into the conversation now. We're joined from Pennsylvania by Dr. Matthias Basner. He's a sleep researcher and professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He's a sleep researcher and professor at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Dr. Basner, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. A research from the World Health Organization found that nighttime noise is considered particularly detrimental to a person's health, even if that person does not recall being awoken. Dr. Bastner, what makes chronic nighttime noise so harmful? Yeah, it's it's simply because sleep is so important for our short-term recuperation, but also for our long-term health and well-being. I mean, so many important processes uh, are happening during sleep. It's a very active uh, process, actually. Uh, you know, we are consolidating consolidating memories. Um, you know, specific hormones are being secreted just during the night nighttime period, and also there's a lymphatic system in the brain that's opening up and basically metabolites, and also those proteins that are implicated in neurodegenerative disease are being flushed out of the system uh, while we are sleeping. And there's really two components to sleep that are important. It's it's the overall duration of sleep. We need to get enough. You know the uh, the uh, medical societies recommend at least seven hours uh, of sleep per night uh, on a regular basis. But it's also the quality and the continuity of sleep. But this is where noise comes in. You know, uh, actually, when we're sleeping, we're putting ourselves in a pretty dangerous state because we're unconscious, we're unaware of ourselves and our surroundings. So we're in, in easy prey, you know, speaking from an evolutionary perspective. So there uh, are the sensory system and the auditory is the most important one uh, that has like a watchman function and it's, it's constantly monitoring our environment even while we're sleeping. So this is why we are reacting to, to, to noise events that happen in our environment. And uh, what's happening is that we're arousing from sleep. We're, we're briefly waking up. That may not be long enough to regain consciousness. So we may not remember those uh, those arousals in the next morning, but it's it's fragmenting our sleep and it's taking the continuity out of our sleep and it's uh, basically diminishing our sleep quality, making sleep less recuperative, and all these uh, uh, long-term health consequences that were discussed earlier, like cardiovascular disease, but also increasingly, you know, metabolic disease like uh, diabetes, obesity, or even cancer. Uh, may all be implicated in the sleep disturbance that is induced by the noise exposure. What kind of noise is harmful, particularly at night? Um, you know, we, um, we, we're we getting a, a good grip. There have been very uh, important uh, animal studies in the, in, in the recent past showing that it's, it's very likely uh, the intermittent noise that seems to be the most relevant. Like that is, if you have a, like a more constant low-level background noise that may not be as harmful as individual noise events, you know, peeking out of that background. It may be a, a plane flying over your house. It may be a, a truck driving by your house or a train uh, driving by your house that is actually, you know, causing these arousals that uh, that are, you know, uh, uh, ripping you out of sleep, so to say. Uh, that may be the most relevant. And, you know, again, you know, animal studies have shown that if you just expose mice to a constant background noise uh, throughout the nighttime, that that didn't really have a major effect. If you expose a, that animal during the daytime, it didn't have a major effect. But if the noise at the same sound energy was intermittent, you could see all these changes, uh, physiologic changes that are were all precursors to uh, long-term health consequences. Well, we'll pick up more on the relationship between noise and sleep after this short break. We'll also get into what you can do to protect yourself from noise's most harmful effects. Stay with us. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. Our quiet bedroom community is no longer quiet because Metro North created a mega replacement harm in yard. And now the operation of the yard, as well as the transiting of all of the trains, is echoing into our entire community, our entire valley. We're exposed to not only high decibel noise events, eclipsing 65 decibels, but also low-frequency infrasound. Jamie in Hudson, New York. Thanks for that message. Now, Dr. Basner, we heard from Jamie in Hudson. Uh, talk about low-frequency infrasound. What is that, and, and how does it affect the body? Well, you know, uh, so the, the sound spectrum can be divided into different frequencies. And, you know, the, the human uh, auditory system is typically most sensitive uh, between like two and, and 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 six kilohertz. This is where our speech typically takes place. Uh, but we can also hear higher and, and lower frequencies and, and and infrasound is is really very low frequency sound. Uh, and some people seem to be uh, uh, sensitive to 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 that frequency range. It can also, you know, in, in, induce uh, bodily reactions that you just simply can can feel the sound. Uh, and so it's 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 kind of different from the uh, from the from the standard uh, you know audi- more audible sound uh, also in terms of the reactions that it uh, that it elicits. What sound qualities like frequency make certain noises more harmful than others on human health, Peter? Well, that you know that's a great question. I think we we often think about measuring sound in terms of uh, what we call a weighting, and that's uh, to to capture the kind of frequency of sound that that mimics the sensitivity of the auditory system, something that we can actually hear and perceive. Um, so we we look at those metrics, and then we also uh, you know as has been discussed uh, in this uh, in this hour, um, thinking about different metrics across you know twenty uh, four hour periods, maybe upweighting nighttime noise or evening noise. Um, so you know we we think about those metrics and 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 the metrics that we come up with. Um, we we attempt to link 
to health outcomes, um, and therefore this this weighting of of nighttime noise, where you know during the sleep period, or or perhaps when we should be sleeping, um, is is probably the the most important driver of of health outcomes. But you know the, in, when it comes to the frequency, um, and and also we mentioned intermittency of noise, that is still something that that we need to develop, especially when considering um, modeling noise exposure across many people across you know the entire US for instance Dr. Basner is it possible for our bodies to get used to chronic noise and stop it from provoking stress or negative health effects Yeah so there's uh, definitely uh, some habituation um, although we at this point poorly understand, uh, you know, to what degree we're habituating and who is habituating, or perhaps there may be even people who get more sensitive to noise through uh, chronic exposure. But in our uh, uh, sleep laboratory uh, experiments, we can see that, you know, with repeated exposure uh, during consecutive nights, we can see that people react with a, a more and more lower probability to the uh, individual noise events. And that could be just because, you know, we sleep deprived them to some degree. So their their, uh, sleep gets a little bit deeper, but also because the, the sounds that were new to them when they first entered our lab uh, are now um, more meaningful to them. And uh, basically the body has figured out that there's really no, no real danger associated with those events. So, it's biologically plausible that, you know, it doesn't make sense to wake up to that event over and over again, because as we've already heard, that is actually uh, not a good thing. It, it, it's not conserving energy and it, it's uh, fragmenting our sleep. So there's a, de- different, a diff- definitely some degree of habituation uh, in people, but we also uh, have seen in field studies that the habituation is never complete. That is, we're still reacting to noise events, even if it's to a lesser degree, uh, if we are uh, chronically exposed. And also the different system habituate to a different degree. For example, uh, the full-fledged awakenings where somebody is really waking up from sleep, uh, that is something where people habituate more. But the cardiovascular and autonomic nervous system responses uh, you know, where we get a heart rate increase and an increase in blood pressure that is then causing all these negative uh, consequences. We heard about blood vessels, uh, uh, inflammation, uh, you know, uh, uh, pro-thrombotic responses. That is actually habituating to a much lesser degree, if at all. And that is, uh, again, the system that is very likely responsible for many of the long-term health consequences. Uh, Dr. Basner, you used a term there not, I'm not familiar with. You said pro-thrombotic. What, what was the term? Pro-thrombotic. It's basically, you know, our blood clotting, how easily our blood is clotting. And basically, uh, long-term noise exposure has been shown to increase the uh, likelihood of our blood to to generate clots. And that, of course, may be implicated in in heart attacks and strokes as well. Peter, how do we balance our need for things like transportation or the tools that help us do our work with the levels of noise they bring with them? Yeah, I mean it's it's complex, and I think you know what um, Jamie Banks mentioned earlier is you know I think what we need is is a, a well funded you know federal noise control program to to really coordinate and kind of oversee um, these these uh, both both the actual uh, noise 
you know, outcomes associated with noise and, and, you know, measure basically how noise is distributed across the U.S., but also in occupational settings. So I think, um, you know, that is something, especially in my world, you know, we, we have a, uh, you know, federally supported uh, air pollution monitoring network. We don't have the same type of uh, network that exists for noise. And that would be really helpful for us to understand the health effects of noise across the U.S. and across different populations. Dr. Bassner, for for people who are more sensitive to noise, what measures do you recommend they take personally to limit their risk of developing adverse health effects related to chronic noise exposure? I mean, one one thing that's obvious, and but it's also a, a, a health disparity issue, and we, we talked about that is just choosing the location where you live, right? Uh, it's location, location, location. If you're, you know, uh, looking for an apartment to rent or a house to rent or a house to buy, you know, really try to make noise a priority and uh, not do not take for granted what the realtor is telling you. But you know, visit the location, uh, not only you know during this one time, but you know, go there during different times of the day because sometimes people are surprised. All of a sudden, you know, there is air traffic during the night, and they, when they visited the location, you know, that that traffic wasn't there. So obviously the problem is that, you know, uh, many of the quiet locations are also the most expensive ones, so not everyone can afford that. But even if you're living at a at a noisy location, for example, if you want to protect your sleep, you could think about moving your bedroom from the uh, most exposed facade that is facing the road, perhaps to the uh, to a room that is facing the backyard, because noise levels can be con- considerably uh, lower there. Um, obviously, you could think about, you know, getting better windows so that the noise is not penetrating into your bedroom. Uh, people, many people, actually millions of people are using so-called white noise machines or they're playing back YouTube videos that just generate a constant background noise level. And we talked about then that the, uh, you know, noise events that are intruding into the back, back uh, bedroom are not emerging that much from that background noise level. Uh, However, we did a systematic uh, review of the literature, and there's really no good evidence right now that 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 is really working. There's also no no good evidence that it's not working. So we and others have begun doing studies, systematically looking at you know whether these white noise machines are really working, and we're also uh, uh, revisiting the the earplug. Uh, issue that was mentioned earlier because, you know, surprisingly, there's also very little research on whether earplugs are actually working in, in, in such a scenario or not. You know, Peter, I have a feeling that my neighborhood's going to be, or it's going to feel a little noisier to me uh, when I go to bed this evening. So what are the best resources for those of us who want to know the levels of noise we're being exposed to in our communities on a regular basis? You know that's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, there, as far as I'm aware, there are no real easy um, available noise maps uh, for consumers. But there are definitely uh, there have been published. You know, the National Park Service has a, a noise map um, that's available online. The um, Department of Transportation has a transportation related noise map, um, and the FAA also has a uh, aviation related noise map. So these types of resources, although they're a little bit difficult to uh, access for the public should be distributed and, and should be made more widely available in a you know easily digestible format. 
That's Peter James. He's an environmental epidemiologist and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Also with us, Dr. Matthias Basner, a sleep researcher and professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Dr. Basner, Peter, thanks for your time. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.